you start to add strength training in as one of your priorities, now you're adding muscle every year. So you're literally reversing that aging process. If exercise were a pill, it would be one of the most cost-effective drugs ever invented. It's promoted as a solution for everything from mild depression to arthritic back pain. And according to the chief medical officer, it can lower your risk of cancer, stroke and heart disease by up to 50%. I'm going to make that body work all night. I'm going to make that body work. The belief that exercise can be considered medicine isn't new. Until the start of the 20th century, a major part of a physician's duties focused on the preservation and promotion of health and the prevention of disease through exercise and diet, or what became known as regimen. The emphasis on fitness goes all the way back to Hippocrates, who wrote two works on health and well-being. Eating alone will not keep a man well. He must also take exercise, for food and exercise work together to produce health. In Regimen in Health, which was directed at the layman, he advocated walking rapidly in the winter and slowly in the summer, Early morning walks reduce the body and render the parts about the head light, bright and of good hearing while they relax the bowels. They reduce because the body as it moves grows hot and moisture is thinned and purged, partly by the breath, partly when the nose is blown and the throat is cleared, partly being consumed by the heat of the soul for the nourishment thereof. The jogging craze of the 70s gave way to aerobics, then Zumba. Recently, the ex-Coronation Street and I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here star Helen Flanagan brought out an equestrian-themed workout video, whilst Russell Brand, post-heroin, promotes the benefits of yoga. It's absolutely integral. It's absolutely the most authentic thing, more real than any of us. Yet despite all that, only one in three adults in Britain does the recommended 150 minutes of moderate aerobic physical activity per week. And the consequences of all that inactivity are massive. It triggers one in ten cases of coronary heart disease and a staggering one in six deaths. One way local authorities have been trying to improve those statistics is through exercise referral schemes which enables doctors like Nikki Wright to give exercise on prescription, something she does on average twice a month. 110 over 60, very good. You've got to find out what they enjoy because there's absolutely no point in them saying they're going to take up something if they absolutely loathe the idea of it because it just won't happen. So it's trying to build on what they already are doing and trying to help them, encourage them to do things perhaps in a different way, get off the bus stop a a stop earlier and walk the rest of the way to work, consider cycling to work. It's working with what they're familiar with. If they haven't done much exercise at all, then there are all sorts of opportunities out there that they could avail themselves of. And the exercise referral scheme is quite good because we could refer them to the Active Lifestyles Advisor for an assessment. She would see them in the gym and then build a programme for them, individualised, to suit their particular needs and requirements. And so that could be swimming, it could be using the gym equipment, it could be going to a class. So there's a big variety of things that are on offer.
When the scheme started, they were basically for people with obesity, diabetes or pulmonary conditions. Now, Dr Wright can make referrals for mental illness, post-surgery such as hip and knee replacements and even cancer rehab. Her patients come to the local gym, the Riverside Leisure Centre in Winchester, where they're put through their paces by Lydia Lockhart. OK, so, James, I'm going to show you how to use the bike. Yep. Um, so it's very easy to use, so... Noticing their needs and concerns, she creates an exercise programme for them and they benefit from a 50% discount on membership to the gym. The scheme is 16 weeks long, so throughout that 16 weeks they get this reduced rate and they get support and reviews from us, the GP referral instructors, and then after that we offer them kind of a reduced price membership just to try and encourage them to continue the good work that they've started. What kind of improvements do you see in people who've been on the scheme? Weight loss is a common one. Some people who have done the scheme, they've seen that their blood pressure has reduced, um, which is great. Also, blood sugar levels if they are diabetic. A lot of people say that, surprisingly, they have more energy levels, whereas people think, you know, if they're going to get more active, that they're going to feel tired, but they actually feel more motivated, more energised. It gives me the zest for life. I can enjoy time with my family a lot more. I'm involved in playing with my children a lot more because I have the energy. So, yeah, all round, it's just great. Well, my health's improved in more ways than one. The biggest obvious one to myself is I feel better in myself. I've got all the patients in the world now. My family say I'm more tolerant. I don't get out of breath now. I look forward to going to the gym. Before I started this scheme, if somebody had mentioned gym, I'd have run 100 miles. My overall health has really improved. Speaking to people on the scheme, it's clear the benefits go beyond physical fitness. Exercise is also great for your mood. And the gym isn't only somewhere to exercise, but a place to meet and make friends. My health has improved a lot, 100% really, because I can walk a bit further. I'm not as fatigued as I used to be. I sleep better and I've started to eat better. And of course I can socialise with people here, so it makes me happier. I enjoy the actual activities themselves and also meeting new people. We have a bit of a laugh at the same time. And generally, it's a way of socialising at the same time as keeping fit. Exercise decreases stress hormones and increases endorphins, the body's natural feel-good chemicals. This can produce feelings of euphoria and a general state of well-being and the endorphins produced can also be so powerful they actually mask pain. Dr Nikki Wright again. Of those that stick to the programme, they derive a huge benefit, I think psychologically as well as physically, because of the endorphins that are released by regular exercise, so they start to feel better and they start to want to exercise more. And so, yes, I can think of lots of patients who've change their lifestyle as a result of it sort of being kick-started by the exercise referral scheme. Yes, the tension really mounting now with the start of the big race just minutes away. Greenwich Park, incidentally, for those who don't know their London geography well, is southeast of the city, and as the crow flies, it's only about seven miles from here to Buckingham Palace. On the 29th of March, 1981, 7,747 people lined up for the first-ever London Marathon. Few people knew how long it would take. Many didn't know if they'd finish at all. Five years ago, I took up running, and at the moment I'm in training for next year's London Marathon. For me, running isn't a sociable thing. 
the real pleasure lies in the physical and spiritual isolation. Even when I'm taking part in a race, my goal is just to do as well as I can, better than the last time, and the only person that matters is myself. The Japanese novelist Haruki Murakami runs a marathon every year. He does triathlons and he once did an ultramarathon of 62 miles. In his recent book, What I Talk About When I Talk About Running, he recalls the mantra he recited to himself in order to cope with the pain of running such a distance. I'm not human. I'm a piece of machinery. I don't need to feel a thing. Just forge on ahead. That's what I told myself. That's about all I thought about, and that's what got me through. If I were a living person of blood and flesh, I would have collapsed from the pain. There definitely was a being called me right there. And accompanying that is a consciousness that is the self. But at that point, I had to force myself to think that those were convenient forms and nothing more. It's a strange way of thinking, and definitely a very strange feeling. Consciousness trying to deny consciousness. You have to force yourself into an inorganic place. Instinctively, I realised that this was the only way to survive. For people with a chronic or difficult illness, having an internal locus of control, feeling they have agency, that they can influence their body and the things that are happening, is crucial for them. And it's surprising how much exercise people who are very ill can do. Years ago, it seemed counterintuitive to have people who are fatigued exercise. But actually now we know that's the treatment. And if you don't exercise, your muscle structure changes, you handle the sort of fuels that your cells need less effectively. So you become fatigued at a lower, or breathless and fatigued at a lower level of exertion. So then you do less, even less. And it's called the spiral of disability. Dr Sarah Booth is a consultant in palliative care at Addenbrooke's Hospital and a specialist in intractable breathlessness, a debilitating and very frightening condition that affects hundreds of thousands of people each year. We've had people, you know, taking up golf, right, not at Royal and St Andrews, but, you know, a three-part pay and play, swimming, and then other things change, like they're able to live on their own, you know, as opposed to feeling they've got to be somewhere sheltered. And some people at the younger age group have taken up employment, and it becomes a virtuous circle. So you start where the patient is, which may only be around, I can only walk 10 yards, and then you make goals about what you would like to do. Often it's better, rather than having some joyless exercise programme, to say, what would you like to undertake that you can't do at the moment? I mean, another woman I had who was very ill, who did have a progressive illness, and it was something that happened in the last days of her life, but she loved car boot sales and they hadn't been going to them. So her sister took her there, and it was all about problem solving so she couldn't obviously walk the whole distance but take her in a wheelchair to where the stalls start and then she walked around and that was a happy memory so although that was at the end of her life it didn't mean she got better and better it was a huge positive thing that they could share and do on first impressions exercise seems so straightforward but scratch the surface and actually it's complicated that plays a different role for different people depending on their health and interests and encompasses a whole range of well-being types. The finish 
Though distance running is a solitary pursuit, at the marathon there's also a strong sense of camaraderie. In London in 1981, the sportsmanship of the event was evident as the American Dick Beardsley and the Norwegian Inga Simonsen won the race, crossing through the tape hand in hand. Either one of them might have made the first for the finish. In the end, they chose to go through the finishing line together. They've run side by side for most of those 26 miles. Next year, when I do the marathon, I just hope that I can make it to the end. The Open University. For more information, go to www.open.edu forward slash iTunes U.